Hello, and welcome back to the Electric Punch Podcast. I am always your host, Logan Grigsby. Again, I would like to say, fuck with fuck the government, we stand with women's rights, uh, fuck your local fentanyl dealers, and most importantly, fuck Russia. So with that, I would like to welcome tonight's guest, founder of Industry Renegade, chief of marketing at Prism Talent Agency, uh, and the DJ known as Blackout. Mr. Lance Dean, I would like to thank you for taking time the uh, time out of your busy schedule to come on tonight. No, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. It's it's exciting because you know I, I, Dylan contacted me about you know this I think two days ago, mm-hmm. and you know I was kind of looking into it a bit. I'm like you know this is really cool. I saw you had previously done podcasts with several people I know here in Kansas City, so it's like you know what it's cool man it seems yeah. like there's a good mutual yeah. good yeah. good flow i'm trying to get yeah all the locals all the locals here first um so my first question would be how does someone stop themselves from blacking out <laughs> what's the so, secret you know the funny thing is like so if you go to st louis shout out st louis mm-hmm. uh there was a rumor or not like a rumor but like a like a thing that happened when i was playing like warehouses and basements and stuff way back where people would then buy tickets to my shows at official venues and be like, yo, we're blacking out at blackout tonight. <laughs> and the reason they did that was not because they had the intent of blacking out, out, but it's because they at some point or another saw me blacked out. <laughs> oh, like, man. So my tip for that is don't black out. Pace yourself. Yeah, if you're drinking yourself. slow and steady, eat before you drink. One drink, one cup of water. Yeah. Keep that ratio. Yeah, keep that ratio. And don't like, don't be like me back in 2015, and we you'll be just fine. Sometimes 2015 was a hard year for all of us. <laughs> um, so seriously though, you have so many jobs. You um have so much going on. Um, you come from a uh, musical family. I don't actually. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, I, all my like family likes music. Like, my mother showed me like Drowning Pool and Disturbed mm-hmm. and Avenged Sevenfold uh, when I was arguably much too young to yeah. be listening to those bands, right? Uh, and you know, my dad, music fan as well. But I mean, like, no industry background. No, yeah. um, play any instruments or, or I did. I played the trumpet for a while. Oh, trumpet's fun. Trumpet was fun. It was really cool because like. I was in band. I was first chair back in like sixth grade. Then I moved schools. The school I moved to was doing like a style of music mm-hmm. I wasn't with. They were more marching band. Yeah. I was more like, you know, classical composers and stuff. Like that was really my thing when I was playing trumpet. So to go from, you know, A to B so abruptly, I was not mm-hmm. with it. So mm-hmm. I just fell into a crippling gaming addiction. Felt. You know, oh, as one does. World of Warcraft took, <laughs> took several years of my life. I love how you said it before I did. <laughs> yeah. Were you Horde or Alliance? Horde. Yeah, all, same. All day. Same, same. So, have you ever gotten, like, uh, lost? And what did you do to get out of it, dash deal with it? Lost as in, are you talking about, like... Physically, metaphysically... Oh man, that's actually that's we, a very we can, yeah. We're very you 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 would think we're less philosophical here. No, but I'm with it. I'm here for it. It's cool. Like so, lost. Yes, in fact. Okay, so and this is like a thing that I I don't know if this still goes around, but I mean it, when I did it, it sure was. Uh, everybody was like, move to Los Angeles to pursue your music career. Yeah. Uh, and I did it. You know, I, I was fortunate. I uh I actually lived with um who was the lead singer of shiny toy guns Mm -hmm. and uh, my good friend, Chris, Mr. Christopher, 
Um, I lived with them in Los Angeles and it was great having their guidance, their, yeah. their mentorship. Uh, but I was convinced by a former manager to move out there to pursue my music career. And I got to say, it was probably the worst move. I mean, like, I had to do a lot of growing up really, really fast yeah. in order to stay afloat. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was still waking up every single day feeling more lost yeah, than ever. Very, I didn't know what I was very doing. Very make or break city. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was mm -hmm. making it in terms of I was making enough money to pay my rent. Sure. Mm -hmm. But on a spiritual fulfillment level, level, you weren't feeling fulfilled at all. I was all. miserable lost. every single day of my life. So I would, I would, I would describe that as the most lost ever. And how I got out of that um, mm. was moving to Kansas City. Yeah. No. <laughs> so um, where, where, where are you? KC native or where all have you lived? Oh man, everywhere. So like military family. Oh, I feel um, felt. I was born in El Paso, Texas. Lived in a couple cities around Texas. Um, when I was much too young to remember it. Then we went uh, to Rolla, Missouri, and then straight to Fairbanks, Alaska. Oof. And then Oof. to Savannah, Georgia. Okay, not too bad. And then Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, the desert. I don't know about the desert. And then to Guam for a little bit. Okay, yeah. And then to Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, my God. They keep getting you with these islands. <laughs> back. Hey, you think you've had a nice little vacation on the island? Back to Alaska. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I can't hate. Like, the only thing bad that I would say about Alaska is all the seasonal depression. Yeah. Uh, like, I definitely have the Man, like, sad. fourth period. Like, it'd be, like, almost noon. And the sun still wouldn't be up. Like, I don't know, dude. It'll mm -hmm. mess with you. But uh, a majority of my life, though, I, I lived in... Uh, St. Robert, Waynesville, Missouri. Um, and it, it was like the nice little area between St. Louis and Kansas City because um, then I could drive to both places, mm -hmm. get exposed to both scenes, and make a ton of connections, and then come back to my hometown where it's nice and chill and calm. You know, so I, I spent most of my time there before, like, you know, going to Cali Absolutely. and all that. So why don't you... Um Tell me about the beginnings of your career, how you first started producing music, helping produce shows, help, helping do promotion. Promotion, so, yeah. How did that all start? It all started, I mean, I know this is the most cliche possible, mm -hmm. like, explanation that one could give, but uh, I, I started listening to Skrillex back in, like, 20, uh, like, Okay, 10. okay. A friend of mine, I was, like, really into metal. Bangerang. Um, Yep, yep, yep. And like my friends showed me Skrillex and Dead Mouse, and mm -hmm. it's like, man, this is great music. I was like yeah. listening to it when I was going for walks. I was listening to it when I wasn't paying attention in class. Like, you know, anything I could do to listen to that music, I was hooked on it straight mm -hmm. up. And, you know, then I was like, what do they do when they perform it? I started looking up videos. I'm like, damn, Skrillex looks like he's having a hell of a time up there. He look, is there a uh, <laughs> swearing? Thing. Yeah, yeah, no, you're good, you're good. Oh, okay, okay, I can swear. I, right. start, I started off the podcast on fuck, with fuck the government, Oh, man. you know what, that's a good point. That's a good point, right? So, okay, well... We're all in from there. Yeah, so... We technically, we get one fuck, but yeah, I, well, I use know. it right at the start. No, yeah, 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 see, that's the decoy fuck. Yeah. Um, but no, so, uh, you know, I saw, you know, how much fun everyone looked like they were having not just performing the music, but at the events. And I'm like, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. I was always that little outsider kid that like didn't fit in with any yeah. social circle. Uh, got bullied kind of a lot in high school, in middle school, in elementary school. You know, so like to find that, to see a bunch of people 
on the same wavelength. Mm. I was like hooked. I was like, how do I do this? All the people from all these different circles finally coming together to appreciate something. Right. I thought it was like this crazy, mysterious thing. I had to go find it for myself. And like, then I was like, okay, they're DJing, but wait, they're also producing. So I got into like DJing, uh, got decent at it. I I got decent enough for my friends to be like, yo, you should try out for the school talent show. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, terrified i was like wait you mean in front of people and they're like no 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 it's just like a couple of people who are going to judge to see if you're like you know good enough to make the talent show in front of the people so i was like oh okay that's fine so i was like you know what we'll do it i I did it i put a little like 10 minute dj set together mix i think like six or seven songs in 10 minutes and you know the 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 judges were like blown away they were like you know do it and i'm like I didn't plan for that. I, I plan on being told no, to be honest with you. So like I was terrified uh, and they put me in front of a full auditorium with like 300 people, not even the standing moshing crowd kind of people, but like the sitting in their seats, not sure what you're doing kind of people. And like, so that was kind of like the, like the, the most nerve wracking part. But then after the <laughs> performance, everybody started cheering. And I'm like, dude, I love this. Mm-hmm. This is really cool. Mm-hmm. I just, made some form of artistic expression and got immediately, I don't know, it felt nice, yeah. right? To have yeah. people cheering. Um, I kind of rode that Instant high. I was gratitude. like, I want to do it. And then I wanted to make the music, feedback. but it was it was way too hard to make the music. Yeah. So I was like, I'll just DJ for a while. Learn, like, yeah, work there for a bit and then slowly work yeah. your way up. And then that. Ableton sucked me in. <laughs> and then I started, that's, I probably like two years after I started DJing, I was like, okay, it's time to try to make the music. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any Disney-animated character that you were inexplicably afraid of as a child? Afraid of as a child? Yes, I do. So, all right. um, Maleficent. Maleficent. For some reason, as a kid, I was, you know, like uh, in The Little Mermaid. uh, Mm -hmm. Wait, no, not Maleficent. um, Is that Maleficent's the dragon? That's not, yeah, yeah, no, not Maleficent. It was um, um, in The Little Mermaid. Yeah, what is um, the witch bitch's name? I screwed that up. <laughs> um, I know who you're talking about. I was about. afraid of both, the, the, so technically okay. this still applies. Okay. It was it was both. <laughs> like um yeah, I was, I was for some reason I was just like no, super fuck, scared fuck, of them. Fuck the ocean. The ocean is scary. I love the ocean, but it is scary. Um So you both make music and help produce shows. Um which do you think you appreciate doing more? Wow, that's, you know, actually, I like that question uh, a lot. So, like, I was really about playing the mm-hmm. shows and producing the music and playing it at the shows. That, like, that, that gratification of doing art and then being, you know, like, performing it for people who like it. Mm-hmm. That was my thing for years. years. From, like, 2014, probably till about 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Me and my business partners, we, were, we, we well, I mean, Prism Talent Agency existed before I joined in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I joined in as A&R. We started building up the roster, kind of structuring things. And then during that, like, year and some change, it was really upsetting. It was really depressing because, like, we were signing artists left and right. Mm-hmm. But not because they were playing shows or anything. It was COVID. It yeah. was lockdown. So, like... Um, you know, but, but as soon as the floodgates opened and all of our agents started closing deals 
for all of our artists to go play shows and we started seeing like the instagram content the stories the emails to yeah. us the messages the everything about how these artists are having a genuinely good time doing what mm. they're doing because of that hard work we put in building this platform i would say doing the prism thing is is far more um it's it's far more like pleasing to see happen cuz you know we we've got 80 artists careers in our hands mm that you know our agents bust their tails to get these performances for and then we see them do it and like dude their their new record went off to the crowd the crowd loved it you know and and that to watch that happen is way cooler than like me going into the studio making a, a record putting it out promoing it and then you know this seems like a macro scale mm. of it and it's cool because we, we've seen artists flourish and like blossom up from it Mm -hmm. Okay. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your process when you sit down to produce music? What does that look like? So I work backwards. Um, I teach my students this all the time because I, I also teach music production mm -hmm. and like I I start with the so like when you first open Ableton, that's what I produce in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a blank project file and it's the most intimidating thing you could probably ever look at. Yeah. But there's a setting in the preferences that allows you to save a certain project file as a template, like mm -hmm. it opens it by default. And that's your untitled that you work off of. So uh, I've got uh, like a template that's got all my drums, uh, subcategory, vocals, drop synths, effects, you know, everything pre-bust and mixed together. So we're like, there's even a reference track. There's like a, a, a reference track thing up at the top. So I'll listen to music. I'll listen to music. I'll be inspired by it. Like this is kind of a little bit like what I want to make, or this is kind mm -hmm. of a little bit. You get an idea. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll literally put like colored blocks to like notate where the energy is and then block out the structure using locators. Mm. And then I'll start with drums and, and then build things up and make some grooves and make some bass lines and, you know, I literally started by A, being influenced by other music I'm listening to, and B, just like assembly lining every step of the process. So I'm not just sitting there, mm. you know, going, um, dum, da, dum, dum, you know, like, I don't like this or, mm -hmm. you know. So on a similar, <clears throat> similar vein, what does planning shows or an, or an event look like? How does that go from an idea to booking artists to finding venue how does that how how's that pro what's that process look like so the greatest successes we've seen with getting our artists booked is if they're producing the music right so if they're powerhouses in the studio then they get you know a label that is you know putting their music out they're getting good stream counts they're building their mm -hmm. audience talent buyers are going to want to book that talent they're going to want to capitalize off of the artist's ability to sell tickets. I mean, that's just Absolutely. the event industry. Absolutely. Like, so what we do is, you know, we, we try to bring on artists who are very, very serious about their projects to mm -hmm. Prism uh, because they're going to take care of the production. They're going to take care of the marketing, the label side, the, you know, other industry relationships. Uh, we get contacted by the talent buyers, either through cold email or uh, from them pitching, uh, them being our, our agents, pitching the artists to the buyers. And the buyers will be like, yeah, cool. We'll throw the show on for, you know, X amount of money. Um, and then we kind of do our research. We, we base it off of what the artist is hoping to make, right? Because if the artist is 
you know, somebody who needs to make this amount of mm-hmm. money to live where they live, right? You know, we're trying to fill that up for them to make sure they can do music full time mm-hmm. uh, or as close to it as possible. And like from there, you know, we 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 contract them, we book the show, um, and then I guess it really falls into the talent buyer's side. I mean, like to like promote the event, book the rest of the lineup, and then you know sometimes there's you know cooperative promotion mm-hmm. that goes on mm-hmm. too. But ultimately, we're we're just trying to get the most promo possible because. Ticket counts, you know, it's important because you want the show itself to do well, but you also want the next show to do really well too. So you want to be contacted by, uh, you know, an even bigger promoter next time in that city and be like, okay, cool. You know, this last show did 300 tickets. Mm -hmm. So this last show did 500 tickets. So that's why this artist needs to be put on this show. It's like power to our pitch Mm -hmm. for the shows to be promoted well. Absolutely. So. Um, So do you have any crazy roommate stories? Oh my god! Um, I gotta think of ones. Uh, so I have I a few. Not, yeah, I got a few, um, but they're too bad, too racy for the internet. Man, uh, do you have any other questions you could ask while I marinate on this um, one? Um, yeah. Do you have any concerts you remember sticking out in your mind that said made you say like, "Wow, like this, this is like." Yes, I did. Yeah. So, or yes, I do. So, uh, Evanescence played in Springfield. I love, I love Evanescence. But it wasn't Evanescence the band. It was what? Evanescence the singer and an orchestral setup. Like, she had a whole orchestra with her. Okay. Did Bet. a whole set and, like, it, but she did, like, all the hits. She did every single one of them and... I'd rather um, see that than the actual concert. Oh, and God, I'd rather see that. That sounds badass. A it was really orchestra. cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, they they did, you know, different. Um, you know, obviously they had to write all the sheet music and stuff to make a uh, an orchestra friendly version of whatever song. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like just orchestra material. No, she was doing established songs that were recorded with a band in a studio and put on the radio, like. <laughs> And they they translated that into an orchestra setting, and that was by far one of the best concerts. Mm-hmm. Okay, what advice would you give someone that wanted to join the scene and help out, and maybe even learn some production skills and techniques? Hire me. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I only say that because I, I teach people like as much as possible mm-hmm. on the side. Uh, but no, like if you, anybody wanting to get into it, um. I would say the first, I mean, this is the main way I learned everything I know, uh, attend events. Absolutely. Like attend the event. Don't ask for guest list, buy the ticket, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, get your paycheck at your job. Pe- guest list. Yeah. Like work your job, get the paycheck, buy the ticket and go to the event. And then, you know, like sometimes you can do a little homework on, Oh, what company through the event? Um, okay. So blah presents, Mm-hmm. You know, and then you can search them up on Facebook and, you know, maybe start interacting a little bit on the social media side to get acquainted. I mean, because while you're at the events, you know, obviously you want to meet people like that's the entire reason I've been able yeah. to do what I do is because I just went and met people, met people, network, mutual connections will do their thing. As mm-hmm. long as what you're doing, like the DJ sets you're doing or the music you're creating, uh, as long as, you know, quality wise, mm-hmm. as long as it's good enough to like withstand that test then it's like you know you go somewhere you meet people that's how i got um you know co-headline slot at avalon hollywood i didn't know anyone there but i was like doing the research on who 
works there. I added him on Facebook. I mean, I was supporting the events and eventually like I just ran into the person as a guy that had a really like iconic looking handlebar mustache. So I like spent half the night just kind of looking for this person. Uh, he had the same name as me. His name was Lance. Mm -hmm. So I was like, are you Lance? Yeah. He's like, are you Lance? Are and I'm like, Lance? we're both Lance. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, I had just released some music. We started talking about that, but those conversations led up to that slot. Mm -hmm which wound up being one of the biggest shows I ever played in my life. But it started with buying the ticket and going to the going event. Going to the event. Absolutely. Like, hands down every time. What is the most, the show that you were most proud of playing in? So probably Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, it was Meltdown 5.5. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. They did like 5, 5.5, 6, 6.5. Mm -hmm. Like... Uh, but it was at the Russell Industrial Center. So like I had just played out there. Um, it was me and a DJ who might not want to be named on this podcast. Um, basically, yeah. Like, so he played the show and uh, I was the direct supporter, but the person who was booking the Meltdown events uh, got up on stage and like it was a warehouse type setting. So there was like all this room echo. So by the end of my one hour set, I could hear nothing. Everybody, everybody sounded like this when I was trying to talk or hear things. And, and this guy gets on stage. Mind you, I couldn't tell what he was saying. Um, but what he had been asking the crowd, or he got on the mic and asked the crowd, how would you like to... I guess he was wild by my set. So he was like, how would you guys like to see him at Meltdown? And, and I didn't know what he said. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. The whole crowd goes, yeah, let's do it. So I'm like, okay, I said the right thing. I don't know what I just agreed to, but I guess we'll find <laughs> Let's out. Let's do it. Um, come to find out, I was supposed to play a meltdown that was like six months later. Um, but there was an artist's visa. So Dr. Ozzy, mm -hmm. his visa was having complications. Uh, and so they needed me three days out from the event. Ooh, so fuck. the guy, Jason Munns, he hit me up and he was like, listen, crazy scenario. How fast can you hop on an airplane? Um, I told my job, Hey, I'm going to be sick on this day. Mm. Hopped on the plane to Detroit and I got out and I had no idea what meltdown was. N nobody had told me until 30 minutes before we left to go to the venue. And they were like, so how you feel? You're playing your first meltdown, man. How's it feel? You're on main stage. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool, dude. It's cool. Like yeah. I only played like 200 cap rooms at that point. And they were like, do you know where we're going? And I'm like, Meltdown. And they're like, yeah, but do you know what Meltdown is? And I'm like, yeah. no. They showed me a picture like as we were pulling up. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of cars in the parking lot. Oh, fuck. Giant industrial center, right? Like a warehouse with nine stages in it. And the main stage had 4,000 people on it. Oh, man. And I was not prepared. Uh, like um, a little punch in the gut, just like, standing, oh, God. Dude, I was standing next to the stage. Virtual Riot walks past me. Mm -hmm. Megalodon walks past oh, me and says, man. what's up? And Ganja White Knight's hanging over there and Hatch is over there. And I'm like over here thinking, man, like, you ever see the picture of the lion stone statue? Mm -hmm. And then the lion stone statue? And then like the little kitten? sitting yeah. like kind of yeah. like the lion like that's how i felt i felt like the little cat right <laughs> so played the show felt like i was gonna have a heart attack because i was dude it was like a lot of people mm -hmm. it was more people mm -hmm. than i had ever felt like 
But according to them, the set was great. They, they had loaded in 400,000 watts of uh, Function 1 audio for that wow. stage in an enclosed space, right? So ignorant, right? Oh, Completely obnoxious no. amount of audio. I could... I could only hear bass. I could. Only, I couldn't actually hear what I was mixing. Mm. I was going off of waveforms and <laughs> like LED levels on the on the mixer. Mm -hmm. Like it was the most surreal experience ever. And plus, there were no booth monitors because they were being overpowered by the you know the speakers up front, so you couldn't hear anything from those. So it was a very daunting and very scary set, but it was the most memorable okay. by far. <laughs> so, is there any other ones you? Are proud of just having participated in all, at in at all, not having maybe not even have playing like help set up. Yes, I'm trying to think. Okay, so even on the setup side. Okay, so yeah, I used to have a lot of involvement in like St. Louis's scene, and like 2720 mm -hmm. uh, was always a venue that I had a like a bunch of respect for. It's like legendary out there. Like I don't even know if it's open anymore. I mean, I know it sometimes does shows, like, but like. You know, so that's where I really started going to shows and trying to meet people. And um, it was so Getter had come and played like two years prior and I was in the crowd. I was just a music mm -hmm. fan and I talked to him briefly. I adapted him because I was in the front of the front row. It was after his set. And then like the next year I played in the basement of that same venue as the old rock house. Mm -hmm. And and I came up and was like, yo, played the same event as you, dude. Like, <laughs> yo, fucking, you know, love you, buddy. Dapped him. He remembered me. And then a year later, I get offered to play direct support for Getter at 2720. Oh, shit. Like, right before Getter. Like, apparently the photography for this event was not approved because it was over capacity. It was like people were standing on the bar. Like, oh man, it, it, but it was like right after the whole saw dude thing. Mm -hmm. Like, so it was, they booked him at 2720 right after that happened on uh, the whole vine, like multiple billions of streams type thing. And like, so it was overcrowded and it was super packed, but he remembered me and gave me like a lot of like, I don't know, man. It, it's one of those things where like you meet your idol mm -hmm. and one of two things will happen. You'll either be like, yeah, that's really awesome. Or you'll be like, Wish I didn't meet my idol. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it seems like there's a lot of either one of those stories. Uh, but the guy mm -hmm. gave me a lot of insight, a lot of encouragement. I was going through some really rough times. Mm -hmm. I had just lost several close friends of mine uh, and, like, was really depressed. And then I played that show, direct support for him, linked up, caught up for a bit. And, like, I don't know. On, like, a spiritual level, it was more than just going up, playing a show, getting a fat crowd response. It was, like... Dude, this guy mm -hmm. that I listened to in high school is over here telling me that I'm good enough and that I could do it. Absolutely. So it, it was very wholesome, honestly. It kept me inspired for years. So, uh, do you ever get nervous? All the time. All the time? What do you, All what the do, you time. do to hype yourself up and deal with pre-show jitters? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, pre-show jitters just seem to get worse as I get older. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a thing that everybody deals with that plays shows, but... Uh, like it seems like when I was 19 or something, I was, I was hyped, you know, this is my moment. Mm. Like I'm going to go shred this set. Now I'm like, yo, what if the crowd doesn't like the music <laughs> I'm playing? Or yo, what if they hear me mess yeah. up a transition? Yo, did I practice enough for this? I'm not ready for this. They're all going to think I'm wearing something stupid or like it, it's, <laughs> it's all of that. 
leading up to a set. See, that's the good thing about a rave. You can wear anything and yeah. they're going to fuck with it. You can wear anything. Yeah. That's that's one thing that is like, it's you a bit of a double-edged sword with like, because everybody's branding so hard yeah. now. They're even coordinating their outfits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I, I've coordinated an outfit for a show more than once. Um, and then later regretted my life choices for whatever reason. It's like, you know, but back when like I first started DJing and playing shows, it was like, dude, you could show up in a band t-shirt and ripped jeans and everyone's chill. Everyone's yeah. cool. Everyone's happy. Like, so what was the first job that you ever had? And what did you like and dislike about it? So the first job that I ever had was. Hang on. I can't remember what the actual, I think it was crew member. Yeah, my formal job title was crew member at McDonald's. I was, same. I was crew member at McDonald's too. Yeah, <laughs> they start you off on fries too? Yeah. Uh, no, no, I was good, good looking enough that I was I was on cash food. Nope, not me. I was on fries. I, I got moved to fries pretty quick. <laughs> I was on fries for, uh, I think, two months. Yeah. Just fries. God. Just fries, man. Just fries, no cell phone, no music. Oh my god, that's <laughs> like, terrible. Well, but it did give me time to think about what I was going to do the mm-hmm. minute I got up out of that place. Uh, which is cool, because I mean, like, if you take a mindless job like that, you can think about what you really want to do yeah. and how you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes how you're going to get there takes a little bit of upfront investment. Absolutely. Like starting a company. Absolutely. So if you're thinking about it the whole time, you're like, yo, the minute this 40-hour paycheck lands... I'm going to do this and this and this. And then you go do it and then you execute it with finesse. And it's like, you know, it's all because you had all that mindless time with Mm -hmm. all the beeps and the, like the burning fry grease and everything. Mm -hmm. It almost makes it feel more worth it because you're finally out of that place. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely look back at working in restaurants and busting ass for like shit pay and be like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm definitely doing better now. 725 an hour. Oh no, mine, mine, mine plugged me up. She sat me down. It's like, you know, minimum wage is 725, but I'm going to help you out. I'm going to do you good. I'm going to give you 735. Oh, and I nice. like sat there and did the math on my head. I'm like, $4 extra a month. I'm like, God damn. That's a fat hookup, right? man. It's a fat okay. hookup, man. <laughs> um, so I've been told you've been, you're, you've been signed to an actual label. What did that mean for you in your journey at the time? And I guess today, I guess like the first and foremost thing, like when I was a little kid in high school, I dreamt of signing to a label because I think think that's what most people, most people do. Right. I mean, most musicians, it's like a thing that makes it feel like, yo, you know, like what you chose to do, it worked out Mm -hmm. and what you did was good enough to be considered by this label. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a feeling credible source of validation form of validation it is um but it can kind of go both ways a little bit because like with labels i am you know that i'm stoked about the way that it feels to release on a label to get that satisfaction Mm -hmm. but then you go and submit your new material to it right like after that label released as well go through and butcher it to make it better well to give you all the feedback yeah. and tell you to change yeah. it and they I, give you the doctor diagnosis yeah i had just released on so i had released on bygore and that was a really good experience mm-hmm. honestly the way it was all put together it gave me a really good you know overview on how label releases work mm-hmm. and it was professionally coordinated it was great then i signed to 
another like kind of like idol of mine's record label and it was like you know they in order to get the song approved i have to go oh yeah take the second drop put it in the first drop section change it up to all triplets mm-hmm. dupe it over change the second drop remaster it this way you know deal with this pop on this oh, area man. and blah 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 like the email was yeah. like six paragraphs long so much and it was like the final product that they approved mm-hmm. wasn't even me it was kind of taking this a little out of it yeah just a little bit so like you know, between that and not knowing if your next tracks are going to get picked up, because releasing with labels, what your your goal to do is, you know, you you release on the label, you know, you're seen by the audience, the audience then becomes your fans, and then you have your fan base, and then you release music yeah. to them, is kind of the mm-hmm. implied model. Yeah. But if you can't get enough label releases in with that label, mm-hmm. then next time. thing you know, you're like once yeah. and done and you have no audience. So I would honestly argue, I mean like the feeling of releasing on a label is great. The feeling of being approved by somebody you look up to is great, but building your own self-release platform and developing your own network based mm. off of your own merits of going and finding people to listen to your music uh, is better every single day. Mm. I've had, I've had self-release um, songs and EPs do better than half the label releases label I've releases. done. And I get a paycheck from it from and royalties. I mean, it's a small paycheck, but it's, it's better than nothing. <laughs> so would you say doing everything on your own lone wolf and it's a lot less stressful? I would say, um, I mean, because now you have things like DistroKid, you got mm-hmm. uh, Label Engine if you want to take it up a notch, you got all these other distributions that are like, you know, great. Because I mean, like the main point of signing to a label was, you know, initially to, you know, get your music in all the stores. Mm-hmm. But now you can do it all yourself with a few clicks. So you can be your own record label, you can submit to the editorial playlists, you can find people who curate playlists on your own. Like you can do everything that a label, Mm -hmm. you know, claims to do without having 50% of your royalties, you know, 50% or more of your publishing, you know, dipped into by, Mm -hmm. by a company that may or may not do what they say they're going to do. Like not all labels are, are are like all they're cracked up to be. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Not like saying that a bunch of labels are trash or whatever, but it's like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. You just got to find the ones who are actually going to live up to the expectations they set yeah. forth when you're talking to them. Otherwise, it might be more worthwhile to do it on your mm-hmm. own. Lone wolf it. Absolutely. Um, so you obviously work several jobs, Mr. Kevin Gates. Um, how do you manage work, life, job, family, social life, social media? So much shit. So much shit you have to take care of these days. How do you take care of all your bullshit? You just bag it up, bag up your shit. Or... So, um, badly. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. So, um, basically, I, I uh, the minute that I, I, I had a full time job, decided that it was time to take the plunge. So I did that, and you know, I just created a folder called "Quit That MF Day Job." <laughs> it was literally just a note document folder called that. The first note that I made was a bunch of figurative, um, like, you know, how much money do I have to make each month? Mm-hmm. What's a hypothetical scenario? What's five hypothetical scenarios? None what would of, I have in to any, do? Any of your scenarios, did you see COVID? 
Uh, well, this was after COVID. Okay. So I had a full-time okay. job all throughout COVID. Um, and then basically, like, I came up with all these figures, right? Like, this is how much work mm-hmm. I should expect to do. Do I have the client base to do that? Do I have the resources? You know, I, there's a whole bunch of evaluating before even doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the top of it, I created a note document in my phone called Daily Work. And daily work encompasses anything, whether it's Prism Talent Agency or Industry Renegade or Blackout related uh, or personal life related, even like Do the Dishes goes on that list. Um, do the Dishes and then revise so-and-so's contract could be right next to one another. Um, but I'm super ADHD. Mm-hmm. I haven't taken ADHD meds since I was in high school and I'm 26 years old now. So okay. like I'm all over the place, bouncing off the walls. Yeah. So having one little thing I can refer to, Mm -hmm. one notepad document that's like, hey, man, if I clear this out, I did good today. Mm -hmm. You know, or or if I clear this out in three days, Mm -hmm. I did good these three days. Completely. It's that's kind of how I do it. Mm -hmm. It's worked out well so far. The time management's tough. Yeah. I am not very good at time management. So uh, do you know any weird or strange facts? And if you need time to think about that, tell me about your crazy roommate. So, oh, I do have the, <laughs> yeah. I do have the do roommate have story. Yes, I do. So, oh man, you know what though? I don't, okay. So I'll have to. You can um, omit names if you got it. I'll have to omit some stuff. Um, Change names. I had a roommate who, you know, I lived with, like I was in room one, he was in room two. Um, and basically uh, we both look up to, uh, we'll, we'll name him B. We'll, B. we'll, we'll say B. B. Um, B was this artist who was really, really well known in a certain genre of EDM. And, you know, he, he made like a collective that kind of boosted off, um, like a bunch of different artists who are now headliners, right? Big headliners. And B, I guess was considering, um, I don't know. So I, I came home from my day job and B was sitting on the couch. Mm-hmm. The couch I sleep on. Yeah. So I'm like, I walk in, I'm like, you know, it, it, and my friend walks out on the patio. He's like, we're, we're you know, like, yeah, you know, just chilling on the patio. And I'm like, yeah, so what's B doing in our house? Yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I just was blindsided because yeah. of the fact that. Like I look up to this artist on such a heavy level. <laughs> What's he just doing, chilling? Um, so I guess that my friend knew B, and they had linked up and went into my friend's studio, my roommate, and uh, he was showing him some new music um, that he later planned on rebranding into a totally new genre mm-hmm. for. Um, it was something crazy. It was something so left field. Mm-hmm. that it was something he wasn't sure was going to take off and he wanted opinions from my my roommate my friend um and it wound up becoming something that just late last year I saw him play to about 10,000 people mm-hmm. uh with his new shit so it was it was really cool to see the beginning of that whole process that, that that's my weird roommate story just mm-hmm. walking in my house and seeing that person on my couch yeah yeah um Besides music, what do you like to do to relax, unwind, chill, and just like vibe in your free time? Oh man! So, um, I've always been a huge gamer. We mm-hmm. talked about this a bit a bit ago. Um, and basically, 
I've always loved things like World of Warcraft and all that, but they're too time consuming. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. way too much commitment assumed with it. So um, I, over the years, I've always been a huge fan of uh, GTA. Um, and I, I've been playing Grand Theft Auto Online a whole bunch. Yeah. Because honestly, if easy you play... Easy to get into. It's, I mean, it's easy. Uh, but like GTA Online is really... Um, it's really centered around starting businesses. I mean, yeah. if you don't want yeah, to it's the sink. real it's the real mafia empire building game that facebook always promised us well yes and no so it's like you if you don't want to sink a hundred dollars a month into buying in-game money so that you can get the fighter jet and blow up everyone on the server um then you're gonna have to start a couple of businesses yeah like I mean, if you do it right, like I've got the whole like Dr. Dre uh, expansion Engine. items, you know, I got the agency for that. And then I got, you know, the casino missions mm -hmm. and then the nightclub missions. It's surprising what the nightclub missions will tell you about running a nightclub and throwing shows. Oh, God. Yeah, I would imagine. I yeah. loved uh, GTA 4. had that ELC, the Ballad of Gay Tony. I, was, I loved that yep. one. So I play a ton of GTA Either I mean, you'll catch me in one of two moods, though. I'm either in business building mode where I'm like running missions, earning <laughs> money, you know, doing the legit game like thing. This. Yeah. Or I'm a complete menace to society. I'm usually this one whenever I'm like super stressed out. Basically, mm -hmm. uh, I'll hop on and get my stealth helicopter and oh, just destroy everyone man. on the server. And just start killing uh, people. Yeah. So it's like basically... There's there's two modes, right? Like mm -hmm. I'll either be doing that. I'll even do full blown business calls while doing one of the two things. Like it's like my stress reliever. Like I'll be like, you know, doing the thing, but I'll have like earbud in, mm -hmm. like talking about like Felt. signing Felt. a new artist on, like or something, with the TV muted. And little yeah. do they know, I'm like blowing up a whole city. <laughs> so that's what I do to unwind. I just play a bunch of video games. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I do. So, yep. do you happen? Um, so, when you're making music, are you making it for yourself, or do you think you're making it for others? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. You got the, you got yeah, the, you got, got the few, bangers I got today. A few bangers in there. <laughs> so, um, as far as that goes, I mean, I feel like it's probably about a fifty-fifty. So, uh, I'll make like little hip hop beats. Mm -hmm. I'll make you know stuff that I just want to do to have fun mm -hmm. sometimes and most people won't see it publicly yeah absolutely everybody has a recycling bin that's 10 times everything they've released dude for me it's a google yeah, drive folder yeah. with like 15 to 20 items on it out of like i i, I might release two three things in it mm -hmm. and it's going to be the dubstep track it's going to be the heavy dubstep shit and it's <laughs> like it, it's it's there's so much more like I've, I've, I've been working on house music i've been working on you know, some lo-fi stuff. I've been working on, uh, you know, some metal-inspired stuff. I mean, it's so all over the place. I love making music for me, but it's for that reason that there hasn't been a Blackout release since, like, August of last year. Yeah. <laughs> Just because oh. it, it, it's, you know, when you develop a fan base that expects a certain sound, you can't just throw a curveball at them out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Or if you can, at least be ready for the comments. Yeah. But, you know, so I'd say about 50-50. Like, if I go into it saying, yo, I'm going to make this track to put out under my Blackout project, there's definitely an implied, you know, fan service. This is going to be dubstep because I like it and they like it. Not just I'm making mm -hmm. music because I like mm -hmm. it. So there's a bit of a dichotomy to it. Absolutely.
So if you were to throw a charity concert benefit for any cause, what are you throwing it for and why? Suicide prevention. Suicide prevention. And mental health awareness. Mental health awareness. Definitely. That's my, that's my go-to. Yeah. Suicide. Yep. Yeah. Do you, would, do you want feel about talking about why? If not, I completely understand. No, 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 no. I do. I do. You know what? Let's do it. So, um, it's just because it's something that is like it's more prominent than a lot of Mm -hmm. people might think like you know think of your average person who's like Mm -hmm. listening to music on spotify they come across you know the so-and-so artist not once do they probably think that that person you know might have those problems or like they're at this current moment in an episode or they're dealing with it you know what i mean so it's like it's such an unspoken thing and it's also kind of taboo to speak up about it still. I don't think it should be, but it kind of is a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for that reason, I, I would love to contribute in some way to spreading awareness about it, you know, kind of providing the message that it's totally okay to feel that yeah. way. It, and it is, it's definitely okay to feel that way. It's definitely okay to ask for help. I definitely no. have my mental health issues. I, it is it is okay to ask for help. Asking for help saved my yeah. life more than once. I'm it, not it afraid to admit has. that. It Honestly. definitely saved my life as well. I would not be here if I had not asked for help. Well, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you were here as well, sir, my friend. And like, you know, another thing too, it's like, it, it's something so, um, so I, I read this study several years ago, uh, back in the 50s. I don't know how they calculated this. I'm no scientist. Mm-hmm. I mean, this could be Wook science for all I know, but uh, it was estimated, right, that like the level of stress that people have now on like a dormant day to day, your quote unquote average Joe kind of level, that stress would have had you institutionalized back in the 50s. I've read that too. My sister showed my parents that. How do you that feel a middle about that? high schooler. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't afraid of getting shot up all the time. Well, true. So I feel like that probably has added a lot to it. And I feel like COVID on top of that. But my yeah. sisters, my sisters graduated the year of COVID. So I think they were being a little exaggerated. I think. Now these kids, especially elementary school, middle school kids, I can see them being that anxious. Yeah, I, I mean, can see, see them like being that fucked up just from I knowing mean, there are people out there that want to kill them for absolutely no, no, no reason. For me, it's like I think that everything has amplified and scaled so greatly. I mean, look at the U.S. population, what it's done over the past 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. You know how much it's grown, how much more there is, how many more anomalies can happen, how many more what ifs there are, how complex everything has gotten. Like used to be credit cards were only for like the elite, right? Back in the 50s. So only the elite were in credit card debt. Um, Now everyone and their mom is in like more credit credit card card debt than they can handle. And I mean, that's stressful. I mean, that's just one of probably a million things that you could say, wow, man, life's really freaking (laughs) stressful. So it's like, you know, I, I've kind of been like uh, trying to get a leg up on it because like if I know more, then maybe I can identify certain problems and solutions before they're as detrimental to my mental health. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, dude, being only one human being only goes so far. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, I don't know. This got deep. <laughs> um, 
Okay, let's go for something a little bit lighter. Do you have any uh, dad jokes or corny pickup lines? I do, but I, they're not like really on call, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Man, I used to... So when I was working in an office, I used to always be the dude uh, cracking what I thought were uncle jokes, which are like not dad jokes, but they're like, you know, like the uncle who has like really inappropriate humor. <laughs> Like, you know, yeah. no kids of his own, like probably drinking a Bud Light, like cracking really inappropriate jokes mm -hmm. that are dad level in terms of dumbness. Like got a bunch of those, but God, I don't know. They're not really like on call. Okay. Um, if you could go back five years and give yourself some career advice, what do you think it would be? Buy Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> to the moon. Like, go back five years, buy Bitcoin, sell it off now, and have infinite promo money. Ve no, something very cryptic. Um, 2 1621. AMC, oh. AMC, and G GME. Buy oh, all in. You know what? Actually, in the whole yeah. crypto thing, if yeah, I could go back five years. Stop. What I could have, what I, what I wish I could undo is the selling of the 16 ether that I had. I had 16 ETH and I sold it when I thought it was at the top. The top had three digits on it. Oh man. So I lost out on maybe like 70 or 80 grand. I, if I could go back five years and not do that, I would have done that, put a bunch of music out and did a whole bunch of like really stellar graphics and animations, maybe like a music video or something like really bring a vision to life with that funding. Yeah. And then, you know, really mm -hmm. kind of express myself more with that. That's what I would do differently five years ago. Do you consider yourself competitive? I want to say no, but I also know I should probably be honest and say yes. Yeah. A little bit. You got you got to be a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 a competitive industry. It's, There's so it's, many. It's kind of like kind of like an ocean. You're all sharks. There's only so much. Well, yeah, and, and the thing it's is, going to go for whoever goes and takes it the fastest, and who wants it the most. And knowledge is the food that's going to make the sharks bigger. So it's like, mm -hmm. as long as there's more knowledge in the industry, and there's more, you know to go around and everyone can learn things and thereby grow faster, man, the competition's always strong. And in order for what you're doing to stick out in the music industry, it's gotta, it's gotta be a cut above the rest. So it's like, how do you do that when at this very given moment, someone's probably reading an article because like, uh, I don't know, we don't know who artist wise is reading an article from like a legendary audio engineer that contains the one tip that keeps their mixes from sounding completely pro and like a one. We don't know a week mm -hmm. and a half from now, they could release a track and be like banger level, like getting all the streams, getting all the bookings. And it's like the faster you find that knowledge, the faster you can potentially do the same thing to transform what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess that could translate into like competitiveness. Cause I, I kind of want to find the info Absolutely. first, but I also don't, want to be like because i've been on a management team before where all of us are working against each other and mm -hmm. there, we were all neck and neck and it wasn't a really like uh we it wasn't like a healthy environment mm -hmm. so it's like there's 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 healthy competition 
But then there's like toxic competition, competition as well. Absolutely. So you just got to find what's yeah, what. Yeah, a good median there. Don't it's be, probably don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. Yeah, no. But challenge yourself. Um, so how do you see your brand, your sound, your production and EDM in general growing in the next five years? So with so many people doing it and so many people being good at doing it, uh, I want to say like it's, you know, it's, it's going to get more intricate. You're going to see so many more, you know, branding concepts come into play where people are really are, you know, creating an artistic persona for themselves me personally like i had kind of a vibe it was like really dark kind of evil demony kind of like angry yeah so when i was scream. <laughs> well i was going through like a bunch of really rough mm-hmm. points in life and that was my catharsis yeah. that was my emotional let go so like i channeled it all into that but now i've got better mental health mm-hmm. so there's no sense in putting on this big old angry face to get out anger that's not there. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm just kind of making music to be me, which is like the opposite of what one, I guess, would be doing. Because mm-hmm. everybody's trying to embody like a vision, like a branding concept, a persona. Like, I don't know, man. I've gotten super lax with it to where like, if I go into the studio for anything, it's without any expectations. Okay. So we're about 10 minutes, so we're going to go to lightning round. We haven't touched much yet on the promotion side. I'm interested about that stuff. So how did you get involved with the company? So my manager actually was trying to shop my project, my blackout project, Mm -hmm. around to a new booking agency. That Mm -hmm. actually was Prism Talent Agency. And I guess over the course of a couple phone calls, it was mentioned that they needed A&R. You know, my manager was like, hey, you want to you want to become an A&R? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, you know, it sounds absolutely. like a good opportunity. So. so how do you usually look to advertise? How much of it is physical and how much of it is digital? I would say for me anyways, for the various projects I run, almost mm. all of it is mm. digital. It's almost all social, uh, which can be a big gamble because uh, Facebook and Instagram and all that, they yeah. love limiting your reach. Yeah. So, um you know, it's, 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 it's a gamble, but every now and then I'd say the, the, like when I land a client in mm-hmm. for consulting or like production lessons or something, the more in person that it is, the better the time we have. Mm-hmm. If I meet someone in person, hand them my card and they're like, okay, cool. And then they call me the next day or something that winds up being a long-term project. Whereas oh. if I just send out a blast email, mm-hmm. I might get like 10 or 20 sales, but it's like, I'll never hear from them. Yeah. So, um, what is a completely safe animal that you are afraid of? A completely safe animal that I'm afraid of. Are there any snakes? Oh, I love not snakes. Poison, not poisonous snakes. I like snakes. Oh, see, okay, poisonous snakes. I want to keep my distance yeah. with. Um. So no, no irrational fears. Maybe spider. Spiders? No, mm, no, me. No spiders, no okay. spiders for me. Okay. Even the not poisonous ones can stay six feet yeah. away from me. We social distance from spiders. So what does planning a marketing campaign even look like? So you got to be 10 steps ahead of where everyone else yeah. sees what you're doing. Like, so planning a release, you want to have a couple of weeks of promo time, planning an event, mm-hmm. same principle. What you want to do is lay everything out before the initial, before you let the public be aware of what you're doing be already through 
thinking how you want it to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. So start to finish, you just want to like think of, okay, on this day or, you know, during this week, we target these things, mm-hmm. have the entire campaign mapped out on a notepad document before you make anybody in the public aware of it. Absolutely. Because then if something goes wrong, you already have two to three contingency options you can do instead. Um, have you ever done anything crazy for marketing? Uh, me and Dylan went, went, went once walked around with Limp Biscuit still suck signs. Have you ever done anything crazy like that? So there was a time where Rick and Morty got the entire, like, I mean, everybody within yeah. a certain age group yeah. obsessed with Szechuan sauce. Yeah. Um, with their Szechuan sauce episode, uh, and then McDonald's released it. Do you guys remember that? So Yeah, nobody really liked it. Well, I mean, it was kind of trash. I mean, like, compared yeah. to Szechuan sauce, it was they trash. They canceled it for a real reason. Yeah, but at the time, Rick and Morty diehards were going crazy over yeah. the sauce, man. They were, like, selling their cars for one packet yeah. of it. Yeah. And so I decided to grab a really high-quality screen grab from a video I saw on the internet of the label... I got a sweet and sour sauce, three sweet and sour sauce packets uh, and like mixed some barbecue sauce in them to make them a little bit darker. Um, And then I I, I went to the local screen printer store. I was like, can you do stickers? They're like, yeah, how many you need? I'm like three. They're like hundred. And I'm like, no, three. So they're like, okay. And I gave them like a little Photoshopped thing of the label had bogus labels printed out and I put them on the the, man. But then I took a video that was like, how to eat Szechuan sauce. <laughs> and it was me dumping the packets into my sink. <laughs> like it was me dumping the packets into the sink, which triggered all the Rick and Morty fans. Oh man. And then I put a song out called Szechuan Killer. Um, which got thousands and thousands have, you're of plays. You're going to have some internet troll come out fuck, 10 years from now and call you out at a show or something. Fake-ass motherfucker, I knew that sauce wasn't real. Bro, like <laughs> the death threats I was getting. and like oh, one person, I'm about to sauce those cheeks. Oh, you know what? Okay, so we got just enough time for me to say this. So the, I got a message from someone when I posted mm-hmm. that video saying that they wished that I would cut my fingers and dick off Mm-hmm. and then kill Oof. my parents because they shouldn't be alive for breeding me. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. And bringing me into that, the world. I, I can see I can see his where his logic goes. If if his parents made something stupid, they shouldn't be allowed to make something stupid again. But how am I going to do any of that without <laughs> fingers? <laughs> so, you better find a way. Yeah, no. I mean, I got all kinds of messages and then I did it again when I released the track. But it was with my it was with a car instead. So mm-hmm. I had three more little bogus packets. And it was like how to eat Szechuan sauce round two. <laughs> and I just ran them over with my car <laughs> and then put the song out same day. It did well. The song was like I think it got like across all platforms, maybe 40, 50k, which with no mm. paid promo is pretty pretty good. I mean, the the original video was at like a couple it's like one point three million streams. And there was like a bunch of shares and I like plugged all my artist pages on the, like editing the posts. That's probably the craziest thing I ever did for promo, like hands down. Okay. So we are running about on time. Is there anybody you would like to give shout outs to for helping you out on your journey and why they, and why, or what they did to help you out on their journey? 
I would say Colton Anderson. Uh, he's the chief marketing officer, or excuse me, that's me. Wow. Chief yeah. executive officer. Wow. Of Prism Talent Agency. And he not only gave me my entry into the realm of, you know, talent agency stuff, um, but, you know, he's he's been there for me as a friend. He's given me a bunch of opportunities. Um, you know, he got me, you know, anything from like Lost Lands to Disco Donnie shows to you know, whatever. And it's only because he believed in what I was doing and mm -hmm. believed in me as a person. So shout out Colton. Okay. Okay. And then what, what, what do we have looking to have to look forward to? Oh man, that's kind of weird. So right now, um, I'm like in this weird hoarder stage mm -hmm. where I'm like producing music and sitting on it. Um, Nothing wrong with that. Stacking some stuff out. Stuff Man, up. I'm sitting on like four EPs worth of music right now. So like, I just got to quit being nervous and put it out. Um, well, drop I got, a banger with the Electric Punch podcast tomorrow. You got hey. this. <laughs> I, um, I, I do have one show. So far, this is my only show this year. I was kind of taking it slow this year. Uh, but I'm playing this, this show called Magic Moon Festival. Mm -hmm. Uh, out in my hometown of Waynesville, Missouri. This is where I went to high school. Oh, Two people I went to high school are playing the festival. Two. A bunch of people who I knew from high school are going to there. it. And there's a bunch of oh, artists. Oh, man. There's a bunch of artists that I've known for years in St. Louis and a bunch of artists I've known for years in Kansas City that are going to play the festival. And it's going to be... Like this whole Missouri rave scene, at least in some capacity, is being like, brought to my damn, hometown. Bro. So you're gonna be the coolest guy in town. Yo, you're gonna I'm be stoked. like, that, damn, he's the one guy who got out of te out of town and actually Yo, succeeded. Oh my god, we call him Hollywood now. <laughs> I went to this gas station the first time I after I moved back to after I moved to Kansas City. First time I went back into my hometown to see my family, uh, I went to this gas station and the dude who was the clerk was an attendant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like the cashier there. He's like, Lance? And I'm like, yo, what's up, man? And they were like, whoa, we never thought we'd see you in town ever again. I'm like, why? <laughs> I still have family here. And they're like, yeah, but why would anyone come back here? And I'm like, <laughs> really, though? They were, like, they were like, yo, everyone around town knows you as like the dude who like made it. And I'm like, if only they knew what yeah. happened in California. <laughs> if only they really knew. Like... <laughs> But, You're just sitting there, just like having fl fucking PTSD flashbacks and shit like that. Just, yeah, no, it was it was a good time. Sitting in my car, having anxiety attacks, yeah. dressed uh, dressed in like business casual attire because I was working in an office building and couldn't talk to anyone. Yeah, no, man, I made it. I made it out of the hometown. <laughs> All right. Well, I would like to thank you for coming on again. Uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on. No, thanks Again, for having um, me. Fuck the government. Fuck fentanyl dealers. Fuck Russia. Um, yeah, yeah. Kansas City, you have a wonderful weekend, and be safe.